Now, I got a strange call this week. Text. You want me to read it to you? Give me a second. Let's see if I can find it. You know, we live with these things. We live by these things anymore. So this is the text. I got to see if I can find it. Here it is. Hello, beloved brother. Friday. I've been in bed since Tuesday with fever. It still is not broke. I'm going to the doctor today at 10. Are you around this Sunday? If so, would you be up to preaching the sermon at the supper? Now, the reason he sent me that text is last Sunday, after his great message from the book of John, he preached the last supper, and he he talked to us about that passage, about Judas and about that passage. And after the service, I happened to mention to him, man, next week you get to preach, start the messages on the sermon at the supper. We all talk about the Lord's Supper, but how often do we talk about what Jesus began to teach his disciples in what I call, I don't know what anybody else calls it that, I call it the sermon at the supper. We always hear about the sermon on the mount. I want you to know the sermon at the supper is more important for us as believers and disciples of Christ than the Sermon on the Mount. It, Sermon on the Mount's incredible. But the Sermon at the Supper was Christ's last message to his followers before he was going to die the next day. So we were talking about this. He said, wow, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to preaching it, and then I get the text. Well, <laughs> who knows? God may let him get sick so I can preach today. All right, fine with me. Um, so the book of John that you're going through, I, I hope you know it was the last of the four Gospels that was written. So John didn't repeat everything that was in the other three. He told the story of Christ's life on earth from his, John the Apostle's, perspective, okay? And he he told it differently. He told some of the same stories, but he told a lot of different ones. Um, It's amazing to me that John focuses on a lot of topics, but love is one of the topics. But he demonstrates love through Jesus in a totally different way than we as humans would normally look at what love is. Okay, are you with me? And we'll get into more, that more. And then they come to the last week of Jesus' life, and you know he's, he, Jesus does lots of crazy things that week. He comes riding into town on a donkey, and what all the people are celebrating, and the Pharisees are standing back looking and shaking their heads, and And so just to antagonize them a little more, the Bible says he went up to the temple and got out a cord and started chasing all the money changers out of the temple. Now, what did that make the Pharisees feel like? That really upset them. And then they said, well, we want to get him killed, but we don't want to do it this week because the people, it'll cause a problem. But Jesus said, no, you have to do it this week. So he drives out. He he, he then begins to get in a dialogue with them. In public, he says, you brood of vipers and snakes. He begins to call them names. He calls them out all week long. And then he antagonizes Judas. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but you you understand nobody took Jesus' life. He planned to give it. And he knew what buttons to push with the Pharisees, what buttons to push with Judas, so that they would carry out their roles. Now, folks, I don't want to get an argument about all this, but those people cho- made choices. God used their choices. Whom he did foreknow, he did predestine. 
And he used their choices to bring us now to the night before Jesus is going to die. They're in an upper room. They've had dinner. It's interesting because in John, if you'll turn there, chapter uh, 13, the last thing that happens before we get to the passage we're going to look at today is that Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, in this room are just his 12 apostles. They followed him for three years. They'd left everything to follow him. And they begin to look around and say, who? And Peter, impetuous Peter, looks over at John. Now, in those days, they reclined at table. I, I can't even imagine how they did that, but the table was low to the ground, and they, they laid on one side, and they ate. And John was right next to Jesus, maybe head to head. Peter was on a different part of the table. Peter looked over at John and said, Can you see that? And so John, the youngest probably of the disciples, probably a teenager, said to Jesus, probably whispering, he said, and Jesus quietly said to him, what I'm doing, this piece of bread I'm going to give you. And he dipped that piece of bread, a cracker, and, and he gave it to Judas. And he said to Judas, what you're about to do do quickly. Now, the disciples didn't know what he meant because Judas kept the purse. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were in charge of the disciples and you knew Judas was a crook, would you let him be in charge of the money? Now, listen to this. Jesus gave the least important commodity to the least trustworthy disciple. And so the disciples said, well, maybe he wants him to go buy something to give to the poor. Now, what does that tell us about what they used that bag of money for? To take care of their needs, but they also used it to, for alms to help the poor. And so Judas got up and left, and then Jesus begins the sermon at the supper. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give uh, incredible truth. Don't just spout truth from Scripture to people that don't want to hear it. You're wasting your time. You're casting pearls before swine. They're going to listen to it and trample over it and probably get you messy in the process. doesn't mean you don't speak truth to them. You try to do that. But don't waste your time casting pearls before swine. So he waited till the swine left before he began giving the pearls. So I'm in chapter 13, verse 31. Now when he had left, who had left? Judas. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Now, we talked about that last week. And God, Jesus was going to be glorified as the Holy Spirit worked through his sacrifice, sacrificial love to give salvation for the entire world. It's amazing when we submit and lower ourselves as an instrument of God's mercy, how he then exalts us. Verse 33, children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I am going, you cannot come. Where's he going? He's going to heaven. He's going to die. 
He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, now listen, right now he's going to begin his message. That was a little introduction. Before I read the message, I want you to tell you something. After he starts his message, he gets interrupted four times. But here's, here is his message. He's going to expound on it in like two or three chapters. But here's his message in two verses. Look at verse 34, and this is our text for today. I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. I want you to repeat this after me. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. That's our verse for today. I could read the text, but Robert said, preach this verse. So I don't have any, I don't have any option. You know, you've got to follow the preacher's admonitions, right? But I want you to know, I think that's one of the most profound and, listen, one of the most difficult verses to understand and live in the entire Bible. And it's interesting, he prefaces it by saying, a new command I give you. So I want you to stop and think about that. What's different about this command? I'm going to read it to you again. Love one another as I have loved you. Do you realize he had never said that before? He had talked about love. Can you remember him preaching about love? He, love your neighbor as yourself. This is different. He didn't say love your neighbor as yourself. When, when, he, when, he, when he gave the... the command, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he said all the commands are fulfilled in two. Ten commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Have no idols. And all those commands, honor your father and your mother. He said they're summed up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he had preached that. He had taught that. He said a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, first of all, who's the one another? It's the church. Folks, listen to me. It's the church. He's looking at the disciples, and he's, he's not talking about your neighbor now. When the, when the lawyer asks him, who's my neighbor? Now, I'm an attorney by training, so attorneys get a bad rap in Scripture. I'm just saying. <laughs> Jesus called them vipers and snakes, Okay. So, but I'm an ordained attorney, so that makes a difference. <laughs> when the attorney said, well, Lord, who's my neighbor? Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were hated people by the Jews, and yet when a Jewish man was robbed and beaten and left alongside of the road, Jesus said the priest went by on the other side, the Levite went by on the other side, the good Christian went by on the other side, but a a Samaritan started stopped to help, and he said, go and do likewise. So this concept of loving others, Jesus had been teaching. This is a new commandment I give you. Love each other as... I wish we'd start a new motto. You know, you all see the bracelets that say WWJD. What does that stand for? Yeah, I want one that says LLJ. Love like Jesus. Because I'm telling you guys, this is hard. 
This is hard. Love like Jesus. And then he says in that very next verse, now watch this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you could add, as I've loved you. He said he, he wasn't preaching to the world. He was preaching to his church. You know the biggest problem in the church in America today? I mean, you know. We don't love like Jesus did. We don't. We don't. We've forgotten how. We watch TV so much that we think love is about romance. It's a tickle and a giggle. Debbie and I heard a sermon so long ago. It's, Debbie, I don't even know how long ago. At the, at the auditorium in Sacramento, we had a citywide crusade. She's going to think of the preacher's name because I forgot. But she will. Anyway, this evangelist came to town, and he preached a sermon on love. You know what the topic was? Love is not a tickle and a giggle. The world thinks love's a tickle and a giggle. It's a feeling you have deep down, and if you lose the feeling, then you just walk away, right? If you lose the feeling in church, you go find another church. If you lose the ch feeling in family, you lose the feeling for your husband, you just go find another husband or a wife because love's a tickle and a giggle. He said, love's not a tickle and a giggle. And then he said this, and I've never forgotten, and this has been 40 years ago, before Ashley was born. He said, it wasn't a tickle and a giggle that kept Jesus on the cross. It was commitment. What we don't understand is that in the Greek language, there were at least six words for love. Now, I want you to understand this. You can't just look at that word love in the Scripture without asking, okay, which Greek word was it? Was it eros, E-R-O-S? That's sexual passion. Now, I want you to know the world is all into eros, love. And if you don't feel a sexual passion, then you're not in love. Is it ludus, L-U-D-A-S? That's a playful love. Oh, I love you. Is it philia? F-I-L, love, I-A. That's a deep friendship. Is it pragma? That's a long-standing love. I've loved this person for decades. Or is it Philatua, philautia, F-I-L-A-U-T-I-A. That's the love of self. And the last one is agape. It's agape. It's a love for others that requires self-denial. Okay, say agape. Agape, a love of self. Say that. Excuse me. A self-denial that puts others first. Now, the Greeks had words for all of those. And when they put the word in there, you knew which one they were talking about. In the New Testament, they do that. The problem is when it's translated, love goes in all those slots. So we don't get the full meaning of the word. But the word here is agape. It means a love for others that denies self. It's the opposite of Philautia, whatever that is, P-H-I-L-A-U-T-I-A, which is self-love. You see, the world is caught up in self-love, self-indulgence. Jesus teaches self, 
denial. And Jesus said to his church, love one another as I have loved you. Now, he doesn't say it once. He repeats it. Look, at, if you have your Bibles, John 15, 12, he says, 15, 12, this is my command. And what are the next words? Love one another as I have loved you. That's, now, remember, th I'm not preaching the whole sermon at the supper today. I'm giving an overview and setting it up for Robert. I'm teeing up the ball for Robert to come back next week, okay? But the focus in the whole thing is, is this concept of love. He says it again in John 15, 17. Look at uh, verse 17. This is what I command you, love one another. So what's Jesus' number one command to us as his church? Love one another as I've loved you. L-L-J, love like Jesus. Now, let me say this. Ladies, and I, I'm not picking on ladies because I'm going to pick on the men in a minute. How many times before this day does Scripture record Jesus saying, I love you, to the disciples? Zero. Jesus didn't go around saying, oh, Michelle, I love you as my sister. He didn't say, oh, Marsha, I love you as my sister, or Chris, I love you as my brother. Now, the fact that he didn't say it didn't mean they didn't know it. How did they know it? By his actions. I don't want to say words aren't important, but in Jesus' way of looking at things, he was a man. I, come on, give him a break. He was a guy. He understood women, but in his world, actions. In fact, he, he gave a parable one time. He said, once there was a, a son who said, a, brother, a father who said to a son, um, I need you to go work in the field, and he said, okay, I'll go, but he didn't go. And the other one, he said to his son, go work in the fields, and the son said, I'm not going to go, but went. Jesus said, which one of those really did what his father wanted? The one who did. Ladies, actions are more important than words. I know words are important. I'm so bad at it, you could ask my wife. I just am not good with uh, lovey talk. I was raised with how many brothers? by a boxer football player, Navy World War II vet. My dad was a preacher, but I don't ever remember him saying to me as, a, as children to us that he loved us. I never doubted it, though. He had a heart attack later in life, and he began to tell us he loved us. It changed, and it was good that he did. But my point is, and I think it's true, actions are more important than words. And I know the words are important. Don't get me wrong. But I think the actions are more important. And Jesus demonstrated that. So, I'm going to read it again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he repeats it, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So, my question to you today is, what does that look like? The book of John is a great book to read to, and ask that question as you read it. How did Jesus demonstrate his love to the disciples in the world? The very first thing, and here's point number one, here's how Jesus did it. He spoke the truth. You know, sometimes the truth is not 
pleasant. He looked at the woman at the well, and what did he say to her? You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. Now, he did that in private. He didn't embarrass her in public, but he confronted her with the truth. Nicodemus in chapter 3 came to see him. This guy's a religious leader, spent his whole life studying Scripture, and he comes and asks a spiritual question, and Jesus ignores his spiritual question and says, you need to be born again. That's where we get, for God so loved the world that he, his only begotten son, you must be born again. And on and on it goes. He went into the temple, and Jesus drove the merchants out of the temple twice, once in the beginning of his ministry, and that last week to antagonize the Jewish leaders, he did it again, I think. But Jesus confronted those people. Um, Then he does all kinds of miracles. I mean, in John 5 and chapter 6, uh, Robert's preached through this. He did miracles. He fed the 5,000. And in chapter 6... The people came looking for him because they wanted more food. They wanted to see the miracles. You see, people will follow or be a part of a church for feelings or for food or to to get their own needs met. But Jesus looked them in the eye. There were thousands there. And he said, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And wow, the religious leaders jumped on him. What is this guy saying? And, And his followers said, we don't understand this. Give us some food and give us some miracles. We don't want to hear this stuff. We want, we want the fun part. We don't want the hard part. And Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And in John 6, 6, 6, it's chapter 6, verse 66. You know what that verse says? From that time, many of his disciples turned back and followed him no more. And it doesn't say many of the crowd. It said many of his disciples. I want you to know we're like that. When things are going good in church, when we're getting along, when there's some miracles happening, when people are, you know, good's going on, everybody's there. But when things get tough and we don't quite understand, Jesus turned to his disciples. It said his, everybody left. The crowds left. It says he turned to his disciples, John 6. Will you leave also? And they said, where can we go? You have the words of life. That was Peter. You know, once in a while, Peter got it right. You know, some people follow for the fun or the food or the fellowship or to get their needs met. But those disciples had to follow by faith. They followed by faith. And Jesus, when he says, Love one another as I have loved you means we're going to speak truth to each other in love. Now, Jesus never did it in anger, but he spoke truth. You know, my dad, as he got older, again, my dad was a preacher. He got more blunt. But my dad was always a man, and it was just his generation, part of it, that would just look you in the eye and tell you the truth. Men like that. I want you to know that. One day, I may have told you this, but it just sticks in my head because my mom told me this story after my dad was gone. She said, yeah, she was talking about a man in the church. She said, you know, dad and I were driving down the road, going by a house. We didn't know this guy, but there's a guy unloading his truck, moving some furniture or something, and my dad just pulled over. And 
go down the window, hey, could you use a hand? The guy said, sure. So dad got out and started helping him unload the truck. He didn't know this guy. But as they're unloading the truck, there's these kids running around the house. And when they're done, my dad said, those are your children? He said, yeah. You got them in church? He said, no. He said, well, that's your responsibility is to have those kids in church. Now, our church is up here on El Camino. He didn't tell him he was a pastor and said, you need to have them there on Sunday for Bible study at 9 and church at, what, 1030, whatever. The guy came that Sunday with his kids. You know, helping someone and demonstrating love is one thing, but you also have to speak the truth. So if you love someone, you speak the truth, but you also live the truth. Um, It takes both. You live the truth. One of my favorite Baptists is Mother Teresa. I've told you that before. Oh, yeah, she wasn't a Baptist. Now, let me ask you a question. I'll never, I'll never forget. Princess Diana died on August 31st, 1997, and Mother Teresa died on September 5th, within a week, 1997. I don't know if you remember this, but it really made an impact on me. Princess Diana did good things for the poor, gave some money, and spoke things. But which one of them, Princess Diana or Mother Teresa, lived the truth more? Mother Teresa, there is no question, folks. I mean, we can't argue about that. And yet, which one of them probably got more attention in the press and from the world, and still does? Mother Teresa lived it. And you know something? I will say this to you. In my experience, I've seen more women live the love of God than men. Now, I don't know what that is. I'm just telling you my experience at that point. I think part of it's because most of them are mothers. And they have that sense of nurturing and compassion and caring. How many of you mothers have spent a few sleepless nights with sick kids? Fathers, too, but but mothers. I mean, Debbie, goodness gracious, you know. I know that my daughters love me, but you know who they call every day? They call mom. And Debbie has just sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed for her girls. That self-denying love seems to be more natural for women. Now, that's my observation. I don't know that Scripture tells us that. It may not be your observation, but it's mine. You know why? Men have ego. I'm just being honest here. And pride. And we get to where we think our goal in life is to be a man and self-indulge and show the world how tough we are. And it seems harder for men to deny themselves and love. You know that Christians, I I would say to this to history and facts demonstrate that Christians down through history have demonstrated love more than any other religion. I would, I would challenge you to go study this. How many hospitals have Muslims built or Buddhists built? A few, but not many. If you, if you look over the world, Christians have built thousands. How many of them go to prisons? How many of them are involved in disaster relief? How many atheists have hospitals named after? Folks, I'm just talking facts now. You can prove me wrong. I'd love for you to. But there's something about being a genuine believer that changes you to where you're able to deny self. Not perfectly, 
But there's a harder thing than loving the world. You know what it is? Harder than loving the world is loving each other. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Speak the truth to one another in love, Paul says. Now, folks, that's hard. That means you pray and you think about it. And as Paul told us, he said, when you have to confront someone, take care that you're not tempted. In other words, that you don't have an attitude of, wow, I'm better than this person. No, that's not how you do it. You speak the truth in love because you want to help that person and get them back on the right track. It means when you're hurt by someone in the church, you forgive them. Jesus on the cross, did he wait till those Roman soldiers asked him to forgive them? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You're going to be hurt by people in the church. Folks, this is a family. This is a spiritual family. I don't know about you, but my physical family has some crazy aunts and uncles. It's got some weird cousins. their family. And some people try to get rid of their physical family. I don't think that's scriptural. You, you love your physical. But folks, he wants the spiritual family, his church, to demonstrate that kind of love. I want you to know I sense love when I come here. I want you to know that. I, I genuinely do. So it's a dual love. It, you, a triple, really. You love God. You love those that are in the world but you love each other. And what's going to be the result of loving each other? Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know what demonstrates to the world genuine Christianity? When they look at the church and they see love. Now, what's the world hearing about the church in the last 20 or 30 years? Unfortunately, they're hearing about problem with the priests, and now the problem with pastors. Folks, we're not perfect. When somebody tells me, well, I, the church are a bunch of hypocrites, yep, that's us, because we can't live the truth. He didn't tell us to be perfect. He told us to love each other as he loved us. He was perfect. We're not. And I, and I would say to him, and if you join a church that's perfect, then it's not going to be. <laughs> right? I mean, you've heard that before. But the love he's talking about is agape love, a self-denying. So take inventory of yourself. How much of your week is spent serving yourself, indulging yourself? And I'm, I'm talking to myself now. And how much is spent serving others, people in your family, people in your church, denying yourself? Look at Jesus' life. What did he own? His clothes on his back. He spent time with God the Father, and he spent time serving others. And that's what he challenges us to do. Folks, being a part of a church, and I, and I am not, I really am not being critical of other churches. I believe every church can do things differently. There's not one way to do church. But a church that all they do is try to get people to come on Sunday morning for an hour, that's not the kind of church Christ was talking about. He was talking about a body of people that became a spiritual family that loved each other, went through tough times and good times together, forgave each other, 
I remember growing up in our church, I've been a part of four uh, churches that really have impacted my life. The first one was in Flag Pond, Tennessee. You've all been to Flag Pond, Tennessee? No? That's where my dad <laughs> pastored when I was born. And I've, I, I went back 50 years later, and the folks still remembered me. I was, I was born there, one and two years old. Um, then my church, that was the church of my birth. The church of my childhood was Pine Hill Baptist Church in Eureka. You've all been there, right? You've heard of Pine Hill? No, it was a little church. Grew up, that's where I grew up. That's ch the church of my um, childhood. Then the church of my young adulthood was El Camino pa Baptist, where I met Debbie and we married in Sacramento. And then the church of my adulthood was uh, Woodward Park Baptist in Fresno. That's where we met Marcia. Now, those those churches have had the biggest impact. I've been a part of a couple others, but those four, those four, I knew they loved me. We did life together. We did life together. If there was somebody hurting in that church, somebody from the church was there. If they lost a loved one, the church was there. If there was a wedding, the people were there. Um, we shared Christ with people. We studied God's Word. We did life. We did mission work. We, I mean, we, we did church together. We tried to love each other as Christ loved his church. And that's a self-denying, self-sacrificing, agape love. It's interesting to me that John, who wrote these words, also wrote 1 John. Peter and John got it. The last chapter in the book of John, you're going to get there, and again, I'm just doing a foretaste of it, is where... Peter says, let's go fishing. Remember? They're waiting for Jesus to show up after his resurrection. And so they go fishing and fish all night, and what do they catch? Zippo. And some guy on the shore says, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they got so many large fish, it began to break the net. And John said to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter grabs his coat, jumps into the water, and starts wading to shore. And sure enough, it's Jesus, and Jesus is cooking some fish. And you remember around that campfire, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? He didn't say it once. He says it three times. Now, why is Jesus doing that? Do you love me? And Jesus, uh, Peter said, you know I love you. What's, then what is Jesus telling him to do? Feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Talk to my sheep. He says again, do you love me? Jesus says, yes, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. If you love me, you're going to love my people. He asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And by this time, Peter's exasperated. Lord, you know I love you. The fact that he had denied Jesus and ran away from Jesus and cursed Jesus, Peter had forgotten about that. But Jesus is giving him another chance. Says a third time, do you love me? And then the Bible says, Peter said, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. If you love Jesus, you're going to love his church. That's the bottom line of this. Because if, if you love Jesus, you'll, you'll love his church. You'll love his people. And then it says, Jesus got up and said, Peter, follow me. And the Bible says, John followed at a distance and they begin to talk, and 
Peter looked back and saw John and said, well, what about him? And Jesus said to Peter, if I want him to remain until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. Okay? He was trying to make a point with Peter. You know, God's call in our lives not the same. He's called Brother Manny. He's called Brother Robert to be pastors. And I want you to know that's an incredible call, guys. You just have to know that, especially when they have other jobs. You're blessed. But he calls all of us to follow him and to love each other. They can't do all the loving in this church. You've got to love each other. That takes time. And Manny, you read a perfect passage this morning that I was going to end with. It's from 1 John. In the sermon at the supper, Jesus tries to impress on them the importance of loving each other. And you're going to read that, and then he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I'll send the Holy Spirit. So woven throughout the sermon at the supper are three topics. One is love, the love of God. One's the, lo the Word of God. And the third is the Spirit of God. Now, folks, listen, this is important. He said, if you love me, and that's what we've talked about today, you'll keep my word. That's the word of God. You'll do what it says. And if you love me and each other and you preach his word, I'll send the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some churches that do preach the word, but they don't love each other worth a wit. The Spirit of God's not there. There's some churches that do a real job of loving and helping the poor, but they don't preach the word. The Spirit of God's not promised there. You've got to be preaching the word and loving each other, and God says, I'll send the Holy Spirit. Now, then he's going to spend the time in the Sermon of the Supper talking about the love of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God, and he goes back and forth, and he says that those three things present in a church brings unity. You get out of balance. If all you do is preach the word, you're going to become legalistic and critical. You'll be Pharisees. If all you do is talk about love and you do a great job of feeding the poor, but you don't stand for truth, you're going to wander from doctrinal truth, and you're going to accept the world's idea of what truth is. And you'll do some good works, but you're not going to have any power. You've got to have the love of God, the Word of God, and then I'll send the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God that does the work, in the, the impossible tasks in a church, that does the miracles, that causes people, that draws people. You don't want just the love of God. You don't want just the Word of God. You want the Spirit of God. And you can't get the Spirit of God without those three. Now, that's what this sermon at the sound. He's going to talk about the vine and the branches. He's going to talk about a lot of things. But what I want you to look for is Robert preaches is those three things. I think the love of God, if, if you had one word to describe God the Father, God is, I think that's the word. He's all powerful. He's lots of things. But he is love. If you had one word to describe Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the truth. He says, I am the Word. I think the Word I, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The best word for Jesus is He's the Word of God. And then you've got the Spirit of God. You've actually got the Trinity. You see my little logo up here? People ask me what that is. That's our new logo for the Baptist Foundation of California. And when they ask me what it stands for, well, it's three-sided. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit of God. We serve Baptists, their churches, and ministries. I mean, we use it a lot of different ways, but this is the most important co concept. 
that Jesus, and you're going to hear about it now probably for several weeks, but remember it starts with one thing, a new commandment I give to you that you, one another, as I have loved you. And he says, if you will do that, this is the way the world will know you're my disciples. In 1 John, this Apostle John is now an old man, and he's writing to the church. Now, this is decades later. He was a teenager when he saw Jesus and lived with Jesus. Now he's an old man. It kind of reminds me of me. So this could be me. John in his 60s or 70s writes 1 John. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does the love of God reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts are condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now, this is his command that we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in, in him and he in him. And in, the way, and in this way, we know that he remains in us and is from the spirit he has given us. Chapter 4, 1 John, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. And we've seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. 
In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Did you hear it? What did John keep talking about as an old man? He went back to what Jesus preached at the Sermon at the Supper. Are you with me? And what did he preach? Love one another as I have loved you. And what would happen if we do that? The whole world would know we were his. Now, let me give you a caution. This week as I was doing my daily Bible reading, I read, I'm reading Proverbs uh, as I read through the Bible, and God pointed out a verse to me. Sometimes we don't understand that to love each other requires being together. It takes time. It takes effort. And we say, well, I'm not comfortable with that. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, Anyone who isolates himself or herself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Why do I tell you that? In our culture today, men and ladies, these things and bigger ones that sit in our homes, lots of things tend to isolate us. Now, there's a time for, to be alone. Don't get me wrong. But when isolation keeps you away from God's people, I think that's a sin. We need each other. Say that. I need you. Say that, I need you. We need each other. Men, you need other men. Ladies, you need other ladies. So as I introduce this whole topic of the Sermon at the Supper, I want you to understand it's all about this, these one verses. A new command I give to you. It's not to love your neighbors yourself. That's something he's already said. The new command is to love each other, one another in the church as I have loved you. Wow. And the next day, this was spoken Friday, uh, Thursday night. On Friday, he was going to give the biggest demonstration of all. They didn't know it. They would all desert him. When they all deserted him, did he say, oh, man, i, I got to get a whole new group of folks. These guys don't get it. No, he didn't give up on them. He said, I love you. I think that's Robert calling to see if we're done. So, no. 
we're done. I don't know how to get across the point. I want you to know I'm not the best at this. I'm really not. But one thing we need to do is not judge each other always by words or lack of words, but by conduct, by demonstration. Remember, love is not a tickle and a giggle. It wasn't a tickle and a giggle. They really want my attention. It wasn't a tickle and a giggle except Jesus and his love. Jesus didn't go around just telling people he loved them. He went around living it, meeting their physical needs with healing, meeting their spiritual needs, casting out demons, and speaking the truth. He lived it, the truth. He spoke it, the truth. And then he said, follow me, do as I do. I would challenge you. That's the part we get to work. Do you realize 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example, Paul said, as I follow the example of Christ. That's another sermon, but that's true discipleship. You as a father, as a mother, as a grandfather, grandmother, should be able to say to those kids, listen, I'm not perfect, but you watch me. You do as I do. And when I mess up, I want to ask you to forgive me. But Paul said to his followers, follow me. That's what we need to do in church. This church should be full of children and young people. If you're under 50, you're a young person. Take my word for it. Thank you for being here. And as we get older, we should be saying to that younger generation, encouraging them, saying, follow my example, but now you take over. I'm going to give this to you. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, the whole world will know that you're my disciples. Pray with me. Oh, Father, this topic of love is something easy to talk about but so hard to do. I've seen that kind of love in this church, Father. And I pray you would cause it to increase as we deny ourselves, as we refuse to isolate ourselves, and we realize that church is a family. It's living life together. It's spending time together to worship you. It's eating meals together. It's doing ministry together. And it's speaking the truth into a culture that doesn't want to hear it. So, Father, I pray for La Sierra Baptist Church that this church would continue to grow in this truth. They'd continue to grow in love. And, Father, they would be known in this community and everywhere because they love each other. And Father, then they love their neighbor. So send your Holy Spirit. Lord, as they love you and love each other, as they preach your word, send your Holy Spirit in power to change lives, because that's the true demonstration that you're involved. Father, do that for your glory. We pray for Pastor Robert today. Bring healing to his body. We don't pretend to understand all your ways, but we know you've allowed this illness. So, Father, bring healing in a way that will bring glory to your name. Bring unity to this church in a mighty way. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.